Good morning, church. I did know I was reading the scripture this morning. <laughs> I belong to the Irene Life Group, but I am Helen's reserve reader. Uh, the Bible reading this morning is taken from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the young of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. Thanks so much, Lynn. If you have a Bible, either on your phone or the physical Bible, please keep it open at that passage, and let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, thank you that, um, what a great privilege it is to, to be able to open the Bible and know that we are hearing your words, your voice, you are speaking to us, so please help us um, by your spirit to, to hear, believe, open our hearts and minds to the truth of this passage, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So uh, my love for, for Jesus uh, started in February of 1989. Um, I was 18 years old, and you can do the maths later, but I was 18. I was a first-year student at Stellenbosch University, just busy, you know, the first few weeks of student life. Uh, and in those days, being a good Afrikaans university, in your first week of orientation, they made you go to a church. You had to visit a church. And there was only one English church that kind of advertised 
itself to us. And so I said, I'm with them. I don't know what they believe or who they are, but I'm with them. And they, they organized a pudding evening on the Wednesday night just to go and meet uh, the people at the church and get to know people. And, and being a very, very observant young man, I noticed that there were lots of pretty girls at that church. And so I said, I'm going to come back. And uh, that's what I did. I, I started attending the Sunday services. Uh, and very early on, they had a guest preacher uh, to come and preach on one of the Sundays. Uh, and to be honest, I, I, I can't remember who he was. I don't remember most of what he said. But the one thing I know is that he, for the first time in my life, someone explained to me who this historical Jesus actually was and why it is that he had to come and die. Now, many, many years later, um, my wife Tanith had a quote at the bottom of her emails at one stage. It's a, a quote by C.S. Lewis. And this is what it said. It said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And I think that was my, certainly my initial experience of actually meeting Jesus as he truly is, as you meet him in the, in the, in the Bible. It's not just that I saw him for the first time, but as I got to know more and more about him over the next few weeks and months and even years, uh, suddenly everything else in life started to make more and more sense as well. And I think that has continued uh, to this day. But you know, the longer I am a Christian, the more I realize why it is that Jesus makes sense of everything else. The more I realize why it is that my love for Jesus has actually grown deeper and deeper. And the reason is, the reason that Jesus makes sense of everything, the reason I love him, is because Jesus shows us that God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace. After being a Christian for 33 years, and there I've done the maths for you, just add it up, I am convinced more than ever before that the grace of God revealed to us in Christ is the most important, the most powerful, the most wonderful. It is the most disruptive, the most life-changing truth about God that he has shown us about himself through Jesus. I love Jesus because he shows us that God is a God of grace. And if you don't already, I think you should love Jesus for the same reason. And the parable that Lynn just read to us, that Jesus told, I think it's a great parable for, for us to understand grace in a way that you and I can all identify with. And so let's have a look at it together. There are three main characters in the story. There's the younger brother, the older brother, and the father. And we start with the younger brother, verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, you need to realize just what it is this young man is saying to his father. When he's asking for his share of the property, he's asking for everything that would be his once his father has died. So what he's really saying to his father is, I'd like to get on with living my life as if you were dead. That's what he's saying. I'll be better off with you dead. 
Now, if you're parents, you know, sometimes children can say really hurtful things, but I don't know if it gets much worse than this. He has deeply, deeply insulted his father. And if you haven't guessed that already, you, you should probably know that, that in this parable, the father represents God. So what Jesus is saying right up front, friends, he's saying that, that many people treat God the way this younger brother treats his father. People choose to live as if God is dead. They say to God, thank you for, for giving me life. Michelle prayed that. Uh, Lauren spoke of it, all these good things that God gives us. He gives us life. He gives us the air we breathe, the food we eat every day. He gives us these good and wonderful things. And we say to God, thank you. Now, will you get lost so I can live my life the way I want to live my life? And Jesus says that's how people treat God, the way this younger brother treated his father. And already right at the start of the story, you, you get a little glimpse of what what God is like. Because verse 12 says, and so he, the father, divided his property between them. He actually did it. He actually gives the younger son what he asks for. So here you have a very patient, long-suffering, incredibly kind father who, who shows a lot of kindness to a son who has just insulted him and rejected him. So what does the young son do? We'll look at verse 13. From verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. This young man believed that he would never be free, he would never be happy if he lived in his father's house. He's the kind of guy who stands in front of the mirror and looks in the mirror and says, you do you. That's him. Just be yourself. Don't let anyone tell you how to live your life. You do you. That's how you'll be happy that's how you'll be free. It's not how things turn out, are they? Or do they? Being himself turns out to be pretty unimpressive in this story. He loses absolutely everything. There's, yes, this short time of, of self-indulgence. It feels like freedom. It feels like happiness. And then when he looks again, it all just slips through his fingers. And it's all gone. No money, no friends. He has to get a job feeding pigs. Now, you just need to understand how bad that is in a Jewish audience. Here's a Jewish man in a foreign land feeding pigs. You don't get much lower than that. He's so desperate, he even wants to eat the, feed, the food that is being given to the pigs. Everyone has deserted him. No one cares for him anymore. No one will give him a second thought, never mind a place to live or food to eat. I guess we can listen to that, and we might be thinking to ourselves, oh, the youth of today. You know, what a foolish young man. I would never do that. I'm much more responsible than that. We can shake our heads and think, yeah, you know, he got what he deserved. 
But friends, I, I want you to understand, Jesus here is not just wagging his finger at irresponsible young people. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us a picture of where life goes when you live as if God is dead. This is where you end up. It ends up in emptiness, in lonely isolation. It ends up in meaninglessness. Ultimately, where it goes, it ends up in death. You'll see at the end, the father says, this son of mine was dead. That's what Jesus is saying. You live as if God is dead and you end up in death. Death in all of its forms. You know, sometimes I think Christians make the mistake of trying to convince everyone that if they're not a Christian, they're going to be unhappy. I don't think that's true. That's the power of the lie, you see. The power of the lie that says that if I live as if God is dead, I will be happy. The problem is, for a long time, it can really seem that way. For a long time, people can live what seem to be happy and full lives. And for some of them, the lie is only exposed right at the very end when they actually face the reality of death. Sometimes, people, the the lie is only exposed in the life to come. But what Jesus does in the story of this young man, he kind of rips the cover off the lie. And he says, you live as if God is dead, and death is your destiny. Now, thankfully, the young brother's story doesn't end there. In verses 17 to 20, he comes to his senses. So, so read with me. But when he, verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I think this is what C.S. Lewis meant when he says, by Christianity, I see everything else clearly. That's what happens to this young man. He begins to see everything clearly as he thinks about his father in the proper way. He starts to think about what life was actually life back at home, and it was actually really good. He remembers even the hired servants, the part-time servants, and he says, you know, they were better off, better looked after than I am right now in my father's house. He, He remembers now, he can actually see now with clarity that his father is very kind, very generous. The best thing about being at home was actually... Because his father was there. He was at home with his father. At home, he was his father's son. Sitting here in the pig pen, he's nobody. Being at home with his father actually didn't rob him of his freedom and happiness. He actually now realizes it's the only place I will be truly free and happy. He realizes what a terrible thing he has done to his father. He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, it's not just wrong, it's evil what I've done. It's evil. No excuses, he doesn't try to justify himself. He simply says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's so desperate to get home again, he says, I'll go home as a slave. I'll go home as a hired slave. He assumes already he never ever deserves to be called his father's son again. But just maybe, just maybe, his father will take him home, accept him home as a a servant. 
And so it's at this point that Jesus introduces the Father. Verse 20, But while he, the young man, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Whether you're a Christian here or not this morning, if someone had to come to you and say, what do you think God is like? Is that how you would describe him? The way Jesus has described this father. Uh, Jesus doesn't say it here, but, but in the story you can almost imagine this father day after day, week after week, month after month, every day just looking down the road, hoping that his son would come walking down the road. And on this particular day, his old eyes pick this figure, this lonely figure, walking along the road. And the excitement begins to grow in him. Maybe this is his son coming home. And as the figure draws closer and closer, he, he, he can't contain himself anymore. And he eventually does what a, a man of his standing and his dignity should never do in that day. He lifts up his robe and he runs down the road like a crazy teenager. And he hugs his son and he kisses him. And, and, and Jesus says here, he says, the father was filled with compassion. His heart is bursting with compassion. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's showing us the heart of God. God longs to welcome lost people home. He's filled with compassion for lost people. It's not a bitter, angry, old man, grumpy, waiting to condemn and judge. He's a compassionate, loving father. He runs out to welcome the lost. And the son was probably practicing his little speech all the way as he's walking. Father, I've sinned against you. Let me come home as one of your servants. And, and he begins to give the speech and the father doesn't even let him finish. He doesn't even listen to him. He says to the servants, bring the best robe, put it on him, bring sandals for his feet, put a ring on his finger. Friends, those are not, that's not the wardrobe of a servant. That's the wardrobe of a son. The father immediately welcomes his son back as his son. There's no speech. You know, you know the speech? Pay back the money. Now, if you're going to live under my roof, it's by my rules. And if you don't like it, go back to where you came from. None of that. You're going to have to prove yourself. No. He immediately and joyfully welcomes him back as his son. Come in. And not just that, kill the fattened calf. Now, the fattened calf, as someone has said, is the only one who is sad to see the son come home. Well, that's not truly, that's not actually true. But the fattened calf was, was the, the luxury of luxuries. It was kept for the most important festivals and celebrations, for weddings and, and things like that. And the father said, well, this is it. 
It's time to have the party. We are going to celebrate and no expenses will be spared. And why? Well, because the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Is that how you know God to be? A God who throws lavish, over-the-top parties when lost people, people who have insulted him, rejected him, lived as if he's dead when they come home. He throws a party. He's filled with compassion. That's why I love Jesus. Because Jesus has shown me that and shown the world that God is a God who is full of grace and compassion. Now, of course, there's another character in the story, and that's the older brother. Read with me from verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing oofen, 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 as he gets close to the house. It's rocking. And he called one of the servants and asked, what, you know, what, what these things meant. And he said to him, your son has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, begged him. But he answered his father, look, and that's no way to speak to your father. Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And no, to celebrate with my friends, not with you. But when this son of yours, you can't bear to call him his brother. When this son of yours came, who, was who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, the father, said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He's the model son, isn't he? He stayed at home. He worked hard. Contributed to the family business. He was loyal to his father. He obeyed his father. He seems to be everything that his younger brother wasn't. And so when he hears that his father has broken the budget to throw this party for this no-good loser brother of his, he is overcome with rage. He's angry. He sulks. He refuses to go into the party. And his father comes out and pleads with him, and it gets even nastier. He says to his father, look how I've slaved for you. See how he sees himself? He sees himself as a servant, not as a son. I slave for you. I obeyed you. And you wouldn't even give me a goat. And yet this guy comes home and you throw a party for him. It's anger mixed with jealousy, mixed with self-pity. It is ugly. And it doesn't matter how much his father tries to show him how happy he is, how joyful he is, and how joyful we should all be that this this brother has come home. He will have nothing to do with the celebrations. He can't see his father's joy. He can't share in it at all. All he can see is how he has been done in. He has been treated unfairly. 
Now, you've got to ask yourself, why does Jesus give the story such an unhappy ending? I mean, why didn't we stop in verse 24 with a rocking party? Well, I think we need to go back and see who's listening to Jesus. So if you go back right to the beginning of chapter 15, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. When you realize these two groups of people are listening to Jesus, that's when this story really comes alive. There are two groups, the sinners and the tax collectors. That's the first groups. These are the people who lived as if God is dead. They represent the younger brother. The other group is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the people who worked very hard at being good, doing the right thing. They are the older brother. They're both listening to Jesus. And friends, the, the really shocking thing in this story is, is actually what Jesus says about the older brother. He works so hard at being the perfect son. Surely, surely he deserves everything from his father. But I want you to notice what Jesus exposes in the older brother. He has no love for his father. He cannot share in his father's joy. You see, the shocking thing in the story is that the older brother is as lost to the father as the younger brother was. His relationship with his father is based on what he believes his father owes him because of what he's done. So on the outside, he looks very different to his brother. He's hardworking, he's loyal, he's good. On the inside, he wants exactly what his younger brother wanted. He wants his father's stuff, but he doesn't want his father. The younger brother tried to get his father's stuff by taking it and leaving home. The older brother tries to get it by staying at home and earning it, but neither of them wanted the father. But both of them reject the father. And so the story ends with the younger brother on the inside. He's celebrating with the father, overwhelmed by his father's compassion and kindness and love and generosity. And the older brother finds himself on the outside, alienated from the father. And I think it's that unexpected twist, friends, that that helps you you and I to understand what Jesus is saying when he says that God is a God of grace. Because in the end, this parable is not about the brothers, it's actually about the Father. This parable is about God. It shows us that God is not what you and I expect him to be. It shows us that God deals with us in a way, friends, that we actually don't expect. This is not how we expect the world to work. This is not how we expect God to work. God is a God of grace. Now, what does that mean? Well, in this particular story, this is what it means. It means that God has set us free from crushing guilt and toxic pride, and he has given us what we need the most, but what we do not deserve. Let me say that again. This story teaches us, for God is a God of grace, and what that means is that God sets us free from crushing guilt and toxic pride and gives us what we need the most but do not deserve. So crushing guilt and toxic pride. 
That's how these two brothers experience their father. The younger brother is eventually crushed by guilt. He is devastated by the way he has treated his father. He is totally convinced that he will never ever deserve anything from his father again. Certainly not to be called his father's son. I think a lot of people feel that way about God. A lot of people feel that way about their lives in general. For whatever reason, they feel like they are completely undeserving of anything from anybody, and especially not from God. So they live a lot of their lives under this weight of this crushing guilt. And of course it causes all kinds of problems in relationships with other people. It causes problems in the way that they think about themselves and what they do with their lives. It's just this crushing guilt that's always hovering there somehow in the background. That's the younger brother. The older brother, his problem is toxic pride. That's what he's built his life on. He believes he will and must get what he deserves, what he's earned. That's how he treats others and how he thinks they should treat him, especially God. And again, I think a lot of people are like this. Life basically is one big transaction. You get what you deserve. There are no T's and C's. You get what you earn. And of course, when you live your life like that, when you think like that, you believe you deserve everything. You've earned it. And so your life then is built on this pride, pride in yourself, pride in your achievements, whatever it might be, your your career, whatever it might be, your worthiness, your goodness, you build your life on that. You pride yourself in your worthiness. But of course, it's a very fragile foundation. And it very easily crumbles and just disappears. The minute someone just exposes just one of your failures, and it all comes crashing down. You, you see in this story just how toxic this pride can be. How this, this brother spews hatred towards his younger brother and even towards his father. Now, I think the reality is that, you know, for most of us, we might spend, you know, most of our lives on one or the other, but we kind of tend to move between the two of these things. Crushing guilt and toxic pride. We, we have times in our life when we are crushed by guilt because we've done something and we think, well, that's it. I'm completely undeserving. And then there are, of course, those times where we are trying to, trying to look brave, look confident as we stand on this very shaky pride because of what we've done. And the problem is there's no escape. It's, it's kind of you swing from one to the other. And it all depends on how well or how badly you think you're performing. And if you stop and think about it, both those ways of living are actually based on the same belief. And that is the belief we must get what we deserve. The younger brother believes he deserves nothing. The older brother believes he deserves everything. Isn't that how our world operates? You get what you deserve. And we, you know, maybe it sounds fair, but friends, here's the thing. Here's the thing that we see in this story. The problem is that none of us deserve what we actually need, what we desperately need. We, none of us deserves it. 
Neither of these two brothers deserves to be inside with the father celebrating. Neither of them. Both of them have insulted their father. Both of them have rejected him. Both of them want his stuff, but they don't want him. Neither of them deserves what they need the most, and that is to be on the inside with the father. And again, I think, I think through our lives, most of us at some point or another treat God like this. There are those times and situations where we believe the lie that, that I will find happiness and freedom if I live as if God is dead. And then there are those times when I believe the, the lie that God owes me happiness because of what I've done. But in both cases, the one thing I don't want is God himself. And yet, you see, what Jesus shows me in this story is that despite the way I have treated him, God is still willing to give me what I desperately need the most. He's willing to give me himself. He's just like the father in this story. He is always going out. He is always full of compassion. He is always full of long-suffering patience, inviting lost people to come in, come in, come home. Come and celebrate with him. Come and know him as your father. That's the point of the story. Because God is a God of grace, he sets us free from guilt and pride because he invites us in to have what we really need the most and what we don't deserve. And that's him. But to really understand the power of this grace, you have to understand who's telling or remember who's telling the story. Jesus is telling the story. Now, why is that important? Because as Jesus tells the story, Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus has deliberately and willingly set his course towards Jerusalem. He is willingly going to Jerusalem where he knows he will willingly give up his life to be crucified on a cross. He tells the story as he makes his way to his death. Jesus, you see, friends, is not just showing us that God is a God of grace. Jesus is the God of grace. Jesus is God himself stepping into this world as one of us to come and die in our place. Jesus, who was never alienated from his father, who had the perfect relationship with his father, willingly goes to the cross to be alienated from the Father the way you and I are and deserve to be, and yet he doesn't, and he does that for us in our place so that God can say to us, come in, come in. The reality is, friends, you cannot live in God's world and live as if God is dead and wanting God's stuff but not wanting God and think it's going to be okay. It's not okay. It's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is not so much just the outward things that we do. Sin is a heart attitude towards God. It basically says to God, I don't want you, I don't need you, I'm better off without you. That's the real problem that both of these brothers have. Sin is the root cause of, how, of the way they treated their father. And you see, the final consequence, as you see in the story, the consequence of that, of sin, is you are alienated from God forever. You're on the outside. 
And being on the outside, friends, is not just inconvenient, it's not just uncomfortable, it's deadly. When you are alienated from the very author of life, the road you're heading down is the road of death. The wages of sin is death, it's what the Bible says. So Jesus dies that death in our place. He experiences alienation from his Father so that we can be reconciled to the Father. That's what makes, that's the power that lies behind God's grace, the death of Christ. That's what makes grace the most powerful force in the world today. God paid the price to set us free from guilt and pride by giving us what we desperately need the most but do not deserve. That's grace. He invites us to know him as father because he's taken the consequences of our rejection of God. There's nothing like God's grace in all the world. Now, how do you not love a father like the one you read in this story? How do you not love a God like this? A God who is full of compassion for lost people, who invites us in to come and celebrate with him, to know him as our father, who pays the ultimate price to set us free. There have been many occasions over the last 33 years that I have experienced God's amazing grace in different forms and situations. But I think the one that will always stand out in my mind is a conversation that I had with my wife, Tanith, as we were driving back from a marriage counselor. Uh, we had only been married for about two years, and in those two years we had also started a church uh, in four ways. But our marriage was not good. We were struggling. And so we went and got help from a counselor. And I can't even remember what the conversation was about with the counselor on that day, but I will never forget what my wife said to me on the way home. It was a quiet drive, and she turned to me and she said to me, you know, you love the church more than you love me. Now, I need to tell you that my toxic pride exploded in righteous indignation. How could she say such a thing? How unspiritual is she? Doesn't she know how important the church is? It's the body of Christ. It's the most precious thing to God. As a pastor, my job is to care for the body of Christ. How selfish is she to think that I can't serve Jesus in this way? Now, you'll be happy to know I had that whole conversation in my head. That's God's grace. Because you see, over time, and as I read a few things, God helped me to understand what was actually going on. It's not that I loved my wife or loved the church more than I loved my wife. It's the fact that I loved the church more than I loved Jesus. Friends, that's what toxic pride does to us. I mean, both Lauren and Michelle spoke about these incredible good gifts that God gives us. And what greater gift is there than the body of Christ, the church? And yet I could take something so good and use it as a way to say to God, you owe me. To think I'm on the inside. 
because of what I've done. And you see, the problem with that is when those closest to you expose your toxic pride, man, they feel the full brunt of your anger and bitterness. And so God had to show me his grace. God had to show me that I'm on the inside, not because of what I've done, not because of my ministry, but because of Christ. And only because of Jesus. He reminded me that his grace is the only thing powerful enough to set me free from crushing guilt and toxic pride and to be invited in to know him as my father. And that experience, going through that, actually it, it refreshed and grew my love for Jesus. And the wonderful thing is, it actually set me free to start loving my wife the way I should. I wonder, is that the way you know God to be? Do you know him as a father who is full of compassion for lost people? Or are you maybe walking around this morning either with crushing guilt or maybe some sort of toxic pride? Or maybe both? Because you believe God only gives us what we deserve. Well, friends, if so, I want to say to you, as we look at this passage, God is saying this morning, come in. Come inside. You don't deserve it, but come inside. Because Jesus has opened the way. Jesus has paid the price for the way you have treated God. God wants you in. He wants you inside. He wants you in the party. The party is waiting for you. And as Lauren said, you don't bring anything to this party. But you don't have to feel awkward about it. Jesus has made the way. Now I wonder if you, if you maybe want to respond to God in some way. I'm going to, I'm going to read a prayer. And um, I'll read the words first of all. And then I'll, I invite you to pray it with me. Just pray it in your own heart and mind when we pray it. If you want to speak to God, then maybe you want to pray this prayer. This is, this is what I'll say. I'll say, Father, I have lived wanting your good gifts, but not wanting you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to set me free. Thank you for um, inviting me in. Please, will you help me to come home? I'm going to pray that. If you want to pray it with me, please do that. Father, I have lived wanting your good gifts, but not wanting you. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to set me free. Thank you for inviting me in. Please will you help me to come in. Amen.